For the last couple of weeks, Pastor Bob has been teaching from John's Gospel, chapter 17. It contains a prayer that he referred to as the real Lord's Prayer, and that is sometimes called Christ's priestly prayer. As I listened to the messages about how Jesus prayed for himself and for the disciples who were with him in real time back during the biblical days, I was struck by the fact that Jesus was praying for them, knowing that they would abandon him, deny him, even betray him. But his forgiveness was a foregone conclusion, and his forgiveness of us today is also a foregone conclusion for which we should be grateful and for which we should also learn to be for, more forgiving of others. His love did not waver for them through the worst that they can do. So today we're going to turn to the last third of Jesus' prayer. In this prayer, he prays for the believers yet to become. And I'd like to share that scripture with you now. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples who were with him then. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You know, friends, Jesus is praying for a few things in that prayer. First, he's praying for us, for believers who have not yet been born back 2,000 years ago. He prayed for us 2,000 years ago that we would become his body, the body of Christ the church, with him as the head. He prayed for those who would believe without ever seeing him in the flesh as his disciples did. You know, a few weeks ago, after Easter Sunday, we spoke about the different encounters that Jesus had with his disciples, and he had one encounter with disciples in an upper room where they saw him and celebrated with him, but one of the disciples was absent. That was Thomas. And when Thomas heard about this meeting, he said, nope, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it. And on that Sunday, I read a scripture to you. And this is what uh, Jesus said to Thomas when he encountered him at a second meeting in the upper room. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believed. Blessed are those who did not see but who believed today. That's you and that's me. So Jesus' prayer in John 17 was praying for us who would believe without ever knowing him in the flesh. But Jesus also prayed for more than people. He prayed for relationships, that our relationships would be like his relationship with the Father, both our relationships with Jesus and our relationships with one another. He wanted our relationships to mirror the love that he shared with the Father. So often in our lives, we speak of love in terms of you know, the kind of affection we have for friends and comrades and uh, people who are our neighbors. We often speak sometimes of romantic love for our spouses. But that's not the kind of love Jesus was talking about. Jesus was speaking of the kind of love and trust and care and oneness that he shared with his father, even as the time came for him to go to the cross. That's agape love. Agape means a love that is of God. And there was a reason for his prayer, for us as future believers and for our relationships. And he mentions it twice in the scripture that I read to you. His prayer was so that the world may believe, so that God's love wouldn't be just an idea, but it would be something that people could see embodied in us by our actions. You know, when we consider what being one with each other means, it's helpful to look at a sermon that was written 300 years ago, more, by a man named John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism. He wrote a sermon called Catholic Spirit, and it wasn't about the Roman Catholic Church. It was Catholic, meaning the universal church of believers who believe in Jesus Christ. He says in that sermon that love is the foundation of oneness. That Christ's command, love as I have loved you, is the basis for how we should relate to one another. So that our love is not only vertical to God, but horizontal to one another. And the reason this love is important because this love demonstrates to people the love of God because it shows that part of us that was best created in God's image and it puts to the background those parts of our character that are more of the world. You know, when Jesus spent his last night with his disciples, he did a number of things that we talked about during Holy Week. He washed feet, he instituted Holy Communion, but he also gave them a new commandment. This was a scripture you heard that night. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John Wesley refers to that text and then he asks a question. Everyone recommends and urges love. How many times do we say, love our neighbor? Jesus also said, love your enemy. We profess love, but do we really demonstrate love in our day-to-day -day lives? Or do we allow ourselves to get caught up on things 
that are really not the essentials of our faith. When I speak of the essentials of our faith, I'm really echoing what John Wesley said in his sermon. He talked about how we need to hold fast to those things that are absolutely essential, but we need to live and let live, be and let be, with people who experience their faith or demonstrate faith in ways that are different than us. He said, let matters of opinion be matters of opinion and that modes and styles of worship are not essential. They're merely expressions of our faith. You know, we, we have a habit, not just we today, but throughout church history. The Christian church has had a habit of dividing over things that some consider essential and others don't. And many of the things that we treat as essential, well, perhaps they're really not. We worry about style of music or placement of furniture, whether people being baptized or sprinkled or immersed, whether bapt or baptism is uh, given to infants or just to adults. We argue about all kinds of things like they really matter and are essential. And then COVID-19 comes and we're separated from one another. And suddenly what's really essential becomes way more clear. What's essential is that we are children of God, loved by God, and our faith is essential to this time. Our relationships with family and people that we long to be with, we find out how essential they are. Our health, our jobs, food on our table, shelter. And some of us have learned that... Um, we take toilet paper for granted, right? It's become really essential. Friends, it's time for us, as the body of Christ, to um, stop being so worried about things that maybe aren't as essential as we treat them. I have to ask myself, has Christ's prayer for the Christian church, for the believers yet to come, been fulfilled? And in some ways it had, it has. Let's face it, there's Christian churches all around the world, so evangelism took place. People believe, they share the sacraments. But if we look at the history of our church, not just, I'm not talking about St. Paul here, I'm talking about all churches through history. The church has also demonstrated to non-believers an incredible amount of disunity. During the Crusades, armies were sent out in the name of Jesus Christ that slaughtered believers who believed differently and non-believers. During the Reformation, Catholics and Protestants went to war, and some of those disagreements still simmer in places in the world today. One Protestant denomination actually sang these words in an old hymn that I certainly hope isn't being sung anymore. It's not being sung here. But this was a, was a stanza of a Protestant hymn. Guard, the, guard thou thy saints with thy word, O Lord, and smite the Calvinists with thy sword. Come on. We all need to do better than that. There's tens of thousands of denominations in the church today. And for people who are part of them, those denominations serve a purpose and they're important. As long as we don't use those denominations to claim the only truth and the only righteousness. Denominations have split in years past over slavery. 
during the Civil War time, the Methodist Church in America slipped, uh, split into four groups. Churches have split over the roles of women, over sexual orientation, over political party affiliations. But churches not only split and divide and demonstrate disunity, what's equally dangerous but not as equally to recognize is apathy. Now Methodists have always claimed a social gospel, a need to demonstrate our faith by putting love in action for social causes and for people who are poor and who have needs. We recognize missions of mercy and missions of justice. And here at St. Paul, we are a church that is really high and strong about doing missions of mercy, where we provide for the needs of others. Yesterday was a perfect example. There were about a dozen volunteers here yesterday from 9 to 12, while cars drove up the driveway along the side of our Christian Life Enrichment Center, and we literally filled the white open arms box, box truck with groceries. And during the course of that day, an awful lot of financial offerings were given as well by people who were strangers to our church, but who drove by and saw what was happening and saw embodied in us care and apathy and action that showed mercy for others. We are very mercy ministry ordered, as is shown by our prayer shawl ministry our current calling team ministry, by open arms, by our student ministries that reach out to students at a multitude of partner schools. We do all kinds of things that demonstrate mercy for others. But when it comes to justice ministry, that's a little harder. Because see, when, when you undertake a ministry of justice, you have to take a stand. You have to Take a stand about issues that can be controversial. You have to speak for those who have no voice. Advocacy sometimes invokes conflict, and so we sometimes settle ourselves in a comfortable place where we do missions of mercy in order to keep the peace. I have even tried to convince myself that our Jumpstart ministry is a mission of justice. Because if we help lift students up so they can succeed in school, eventually they can overcome poverty and break out of the cycles of poverty in which their families live. But that's really a little bit of a stretch. That's really more of a mercy ministry. And I really wasn't convicted about justice ministry until earlier this week. I don't spend much time watching the news, so I don't always know or I'm aware of what's going on in the world. And I began to see posts on Facebook about a young man, a 25-year-old black man who had been jogging in Georgia and who was chased down by two white men with guns and shot dead. It took two months for rest to be made. And I saw on Facebook demands for justice. I saw on Facebook the cries of my black and brown brothers and sisters who face the kind of racism that those of us who are white find hard to fathom and understand because we simply have privileges that they do not. 
And you might look at me and say, wait a minute, what does this have to do with Jesus' prayer? You are talking about unity in Christ, and I'm, I'm saying it has everything to do with Jesus' prayer. Because the church today is made up of churches that are filled with brown people and white people and black people and red and yellow people. And they are Christian churches, and yet in America today, those churches are just about as segregated as they've ever been. Jesus wasn't praying for segregated churches. He was praying for oneness. One in him, one with each other, one with agape love. Unity that wouldn't stand for segregation. The question I have to ask today and I asked myself this week was if the church around the world was really one in Christ, if followers of Christ were one with each other, would racism still exist today? And I have to answer that question with a resounding no. We give stuff to the fore and we feel better. We talk about equality in God's eyes but we don't undertake the hard action that will be taken to ensure that economic equality, equality under the law, will actually exist. That racial profiling will stop. That children born today will have opportunities to achieve and learn and grow and become productive citizens who live in a community where they don't need to be afraid to go out and jog in neighborhoods. If the world saw an overwhelming agape kind of love between black and brown and white and red and yellow Christians, the world would be different. I really believe that it would. I stand convicted before you today and I really felt it Thursday when I watched the videos and saw Ahmad's shooting. It speaks for itself. Because like so many people, I hear about these things and I wring my hands. I post a prayer on Facebook and then I get back to my life and my work. I'm not against black people or brown people, but I haven't been strong enough for them, for us, for a church that reflects in every one of its locations the diversities of its community. I've talked some of the talk, but I haven't walked the walk. And I'm making a commitment to you today that that's going to change for me. And if you're in that same boat with me, I hope it will make a change for you as well. You know, today's Mother Day. It's a day to celebrate. It's a day to love on moms who loved on us, whether with a phone call or in person. Some moms will have nice celebrations. Some will just receive a phone call. But there's one mom. Her name is Wanda Cooper-Jones. She's Ahmaud Arbery's mother, who's probably not going to have a happy, happy Mother's Day today. What will we do as a people of St. Paul, as people who profess Christ as our Lord, Christ who prayed for us to be one with each other, what will we do to, sh to ensure 
that there are no more Wanda Cooper Joneses mourning the loss of sons who were racially profiled. Will we stop to act these stop to end these senseless acts? Will we demand that people be held accountable for actions and words that are racist and inflammatory? Will we take part in mercy ministries that lift up our brothers and sisters, like we did yesterday, to level the playing field for all? Will we advocate for justice for all of our Christian brothers and sisters, no matter where they might be? I hope the answer to that question is yes. It has been something that the scriptures, if we read them carefully, have longed for since the time the letters were being written to the churches, letters that we find in the New Testament. And so I'd like to finish today by reading a scripture for you that we find in Ephesians. And then I'd like to close, rather than with a prayer of my own, with a prayer that's in a book that I have at home by a man named Dr. Paul Chilcote. Dr. Chilcote is a Wesleyan, a theologian. He was a missionary. He has taken and crafted a prayer around the themes of each of John Wesley's 52 sermons. And his words, his prayer about the sermon that I alluded to earlier, Catholic Spirit, it says far more eloquently and prays far more eloquently than I ever could. So let us first turn to scripture from Ephesians and then I will close with Dr. Chilcote's prayer. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let it be so. And let us pray. Welcoming God, in Jesus Christ, you call us to love all of our brothers and sisters in one family. While not all of us can think alike or walk alike, surely we can all love alike. If we are of one heart, surely we can join our hands together. You are not really concerned about our peculiar opinions or how we worship. What matters is having a heart rooted in your love, believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, being filled with all the energy of your love, doing your will and serving you in every way, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, and demonstrating that love through our concrete actions. People all around us cry out, is there anyone who really loves me? Empower us with a love that is long-suffering and kind and patient, a love that never envies and is never provoked, a love that only thinks the best of other people, covers all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Give us grace, a welcoming God, to encourage one another to pray, 
to inspire one another to be more loving in both words and deeds, and to challenge one another to love as Christ has loved us. Fill us with a Catholic spirit, a spirit that takes seriously what we believe about essential matters, but does not make our own opinion the rule for all. A spirit that takes seriously the need to practice our faith, but does not claim to possess all the truth. While we steadfastly practice our faith in Jesus Christ, believe the truth you have revealed to us in him, worship you in ways that are most nourishing to our souls, and grow in our discipleship within our own loving family, enlarge our hearts to encompass all of your children. Empower us to run the race that is set before us in the royal way of universal love. It is in the name of Jesus Christ who prayed that we would be one with each other as he was one with the Father. Amen.